Well, as many of you know, my husband Tim and I recently moved down Valley, and from our new house, we can still see all of Snowmass. And so we were recently skiing up here at Snowmass, and Tim said, you know, we should be able to see our house because we can see the same runs from our house, so let's take a look. So we kind of skied off to skiers left up on Sneakies at Snowmass, and stood on the edge and looked down valley for our house, and Tim spotted it immediately. No matter what I did, I could not see what he saw. And he kept saying to me, it's just right there, just above that white field, or if you look above the tree to the right just a little bit, he kept trying to get me to see what he saw. And he said, if you can spot the big road, that's our road, then you just kind of look a little to the right, it's there. He made it seem so easy, but I could not see it. So I finally gave up. We took a few more runs, headed back up that direction again. I said, we're going to try it again. I, I, if you can see it, I can see it. Got back up there, same thing. I could not spot it. And then I started thinking, well, maybe it's because I don't have my glasses on. And Tim was like, just turn a little bit to the left. Finally, I just, I literally had to like move my whole head this way. I was looking in the wrong area and I saw the cut of the road that he was talking about. And I said, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I got so excited. I could see what Tim saw. And just as he had said, once I saw it, I couldn't not see it. Then it was so obvious to me. I couldn't exactly see our house because it was too small, but I could see where our house would be, which makes it fun then when we go back home and we look up there, I'm like, we were right there. We can tell exactly where we were. But the point is, I know you all know the feeling that once you become aware of something, your eye just then naturally knows where to look in order to see it again. As we make our way now closer and closer to Christmas, we're in our fourth week of Advent, so our waiting and our anticipation is almost over, I realize that Advent is meant for us to fully engage ourselves in recognizing and experiencing and understanding the presence of God in our midst. So that once we see it, we can't not see it. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. May you see beyond the everyday ordinariness of things. May you see beyond the mundane. May you see beyond the average, the usual, the norm. May you see beyond the struggle and the pain and the sadness of today. May you see beyond what the human eyes can understand and see the presence of God. And it is, after all, this exact thing that God intended with the incarnation of Jesus, that God became flesh with the intention that we would now always and forevermore have God with us. Now, there are two kind of confusing things about this morning's reading that I hope will become a little more clear as we work through it. The angel visited Joseph and told him that Mary would have a son and that they were to name him Jesus. But in the very next verse of the scripture, it says this is to fulfill what the prophets said 
that a virgin would bear a son and he would be called Emmanuel. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus and Emmanuel seem like very different names to me, like Jennifer and Betty, right? Very different names. But it helps to understand a couple of things. The name Jesus is a derivative from the name Yeshua or Joshua, which was a fairly common name at that time, and it meant in Hebrew, God saves. In fact, the history books do tell us that there were a lot of people named Jesus around the first century, including even a prominent figure uh, named Bar-Jesus, who was a false prophet mentioned in the Bible. The name Jesus is still common today in many Latin cultures, although I know it's pronounced Jesus. In fact, a few years ago, I was at a restaurant in downtown Denver and had popped in to get a little breakfast, sat down at this table, and the waiter came up to ask my order, and he had a name tag that said Jesus. Now, of course, I know that it's pronounced Jesus, most likely, but it still surprises me when I see Jesus in bold like that, so I thought, I'm going to be super nice to him, just in case. (laughs) I don't know if that ever happens to you, but it is a common name. It was a common name at this turn of the century when Jesus was born, but the name's familiarity should not detract from its significance. Like many of your names that have special meaning, so did Jesus' name. God said, he will save my people. He will be named Jesus. So now let's look at Emmanuel. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in chapter 7, as you've already heard several times mentioned this morning in song and in prayer, the prophet Isaiah said to the people then who were in despair, look, the Lord himself will give you a sign The young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel in Hebrew is God with us. To complicate matters just a little more, though, it's sometimes spelled Emmanuel with an A or Emmanuel with an I, and in Roman culture it became Emmanuel with an E, but despite all the ways that it's spelled, Emmanuel means God is with us. So I like to think of it this way, that Jesus' key characteristic, his very nature, is Emmanuel with us. But his name is Jesus. God saves. God is with us. God saves. But still, why does the name Jesus have such power? Most of our names are just functional at best. Sure, they might have some special meaning given to us by our parents. They may have some important family connection. But in ancient times, names were a fundamental representation of a person. Moses meant, for instance, to draw out of water. Sarah meant noble woman. Noah meant relief or comfort. So names were a way of communicating the very essence or being of a person. Names are important. Now, I have a little funny story for you, though. Many years ago, when our daughter, Anna Kate, whose name, by the way, comes from two great aunts, Anna and Catherine, Anna Kate was about three years old, and she got this little plastic doll at the ice capades. And at the time, most of her dolls and beanie babies and little stuffed toys all had names on the tag. 
She's smiling over here. She remembers the story. Anna's new little plastic doll was kind of a knockoff toy, and it didn't have a name, but she insisted that it must. And she kept saying to my husband, Tim, Dad, they all have names. And he tried to encourage her to just name it herself. Give it a name you like. And she just refused. She insisted that this toy already had a name because they all do. And so after a day of this, she finally turned the toy over and showed Tim the tag and then some fine print. And she said, Dad, it's right there. That's the doll's name. And Tim looked at it and he said, sweetie, that says made in China. <laughs> to which our little three-year-old looked at him and smiled and said, see, I told you it had a name. <laughs> now, I cannot even tell you how delightful it was for the next year or so to hear Anna Kate walking around saying, it's okay, made in China. <laughs> I'm right here, made in China. <laughs> Names are so important. Names are fundamental to our ability to connect and to be in relationship with people. And guess what? God had never had a name before. Many of you know that the divine name for God was not to be spoken. It was considered too sacred. When Moses was asked by the people what they should call God. God said to Moses, tell them I am the great I am. In the Bible, instead of the word God, we see Lord, or often we'll see Yahweh. It's a name that's unpronounceable, considered too sacred to try to capture in one single name. And yet with the incarnation, we see God humbling himself to take on a name. God didn't become a generic man, but a specific person, Jesus of Nazareth. And by doing so, God infused the name Jesus with divine power. Jesus himself tells us, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We have access to the divine through Jesus. I've heard it said that when we pray in Jesus' name, it's kind of theological shorthand for I come to you not in my own name, not because I deserve it, not of my own power, but I come in Jesus' name. There's a humility and an awe associated with it. All power and glory and honor are yours, not mine. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote about the name of Jesus frequently. Here's a sampling of what he said. The name of Jesus is light and food and medicine. It is light when it is preached to us. It is food when we think upon it. It is the medicine that soothes our pains when we invoke it. For when I pronounce this name, he wrote, I bring before my mind the man who by excellence is meek and humble of heart, benign, sober, chaste, merciful, and filled with everything that is good and holy. Nay, who is the very God Almighty, whose example heals me and whose assistance strengthens me. I say all of this, he wrote, when I say Jesus. In the book of Acts, 
when Peter and John are arrested for healing a man, they're asked by the authorities, what name, by what name did you do this? They understood that names have power and they wanted to know what name, probably referring to what name of a Greek or Roman God, what name had the power to heal? And then Peter boldly answers them, he did it, we did it in the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus that healed this man. But then he went on to say, it is salvation itself that comes from this name. In fact, he said to them, under no other name may one be saved. So salvation is intimately connected with the name of Jesus. In fact, I believe that God intended us to intimately connect the names Jesus and Emmanuel because Jesus who saves us is God who is with us. We need God with us daily to offer mercy and grace and forgiveness. We need God with us daily to strengthen us and to bless us, with us daily to lead us and guide us with us in our sorrow, with us in our joy, with us in sickness, with us in health, with us in life, with us in death, with us in this time, and with us in eternity. And God is with us. God is present. God is never not here. In ancient times, Salvation was achieved through ritual sacrifice. There were animals that had to be sacrificed at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way for the offense that had been committed. Once you sacrificed in this particular way, it meant you were worthy again to gather in with the other members in good standing and pray and, and spend time together at the temple. And so this salvation, though, was a temporary condition because we are always on the verge of screwing things up. And people always had to be ready to compensate for their shortcomings through these sacrificial offerings. It was an elaborate and consuming ritual. And then Christ came into the world. And we know from scripture that he didn't offer himself like the high priest who had to go enter the temple again and again to sacrifice. Instead, he appeared once and for all to do away with sin by sacrificing himself. We humans cannot help but sin, but God cannot help but save us. Sin is our human propensity to act in ways that separate us from God. It's that simple and that challenging. But Jesus is the ultimate reconciler to God. We can never be separated from God again. Once saved, we can never not be saved. Paul writes, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, he writes, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus. 
God is with us. God saves. Yet most often, it is we who are blind to that saving presence of God. We who question the power in the name. I long for a world whose heart is enlightened by eyes that see the glory of God all around us. That once we recognize and see God with us, we cannot unsee it. That once we recognize God with us, we will be free. Free from negative self-talk and judgment. Free from guilt and shame. Free from violence and anger. Free from self-aggrandizement and posturing. Free from grief, bitterness. Free. There will be no more darkness. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Jesus. How do you experience Jesus as Emmanuel? How was God who saves with you today? Maybe sometimes you've had moments in life where you're just cruising along, doing what you do, and then you become acutely aware that what's happening right now matters. This is significant. Maybe you tell yourself, I better slow down a little bit and just pay attention. Those are God moments. Maybe you're most aware of God's presence when you're visiting with someone who's hurting or when you are experiencing pain or grief. And you receive that peace. Maybe it's when you look into the eyes of a newborn. Maybe you experience peace through the gentle words of a friend who's nudging you toward right action or behaviors or beliefs that need to change. Maybe it's sitting in the quiet, hearing nothing but the silence of snow falling. Maybe you experience God's presence when your whole family is together at Christmas, under one roof, holding hands, saying Merry Christmas. I know you feel these God moments when there's an overwhelming sense of peace in the absence of those moments also, where there's an overwhelming sense that light has just broken through some darkness, when there exists a relief that just borders on gratitude. Whenever there's laughter, when you felt guided and held, when you're filled with awe, slow down, pay attention. Something here matters. In a few days, we're going to gather together and sing the famous words that were written hundreds of years ago. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God is with us. God save.